So we're continuing to go through John chapter 12. So open your Bibles if you have them to verse 23, John 12, 23. And uh, that's okay with me. That is okay with me. I, I have a couple preacher friends of mine back in the Midwest, and they, I love these guys. They're good old boys, and they got, they got duct tape on their Bibles. And I want to tell you something. That's a redneck preacher. But I want to tell you women something. You find a man with duct tape on your Bible, it's probably a good thing. That's a good thing. A guy who uses his Bible. So, um, How many of you are, I just want to take a survey. How many of you are, you get a Bible and it's your Bible and you love it and you and it's falling apart, and you hit, how many, is that most everybody? So is anybody else in this room like me where you're just like a Bible-buying junkie? I buy like one or two Bibles a year. I always got a new Bible. I always got a new, I got, I got a, I got a room, you know, I got rooms full of Bibles. And I do, I collect Bibles like, a, like yeah, like some women collect shoes, yeah. So, uh, and, and here's, the, here's the irony of it all. I do my devotions on the computer. I don't even use one of those Bibles. I do the computer. So, yeah. Yes, I, I, I know. I know. I have given a lot away. I have given a lot away. Um, my Bible, my, uh, my wife bought me, the only King James Version I have, my wife bought me for our wedding. And it's now, it's almost 34 years old. And uh, we had a big dog who was our baby back then. Brought that Bible home from our honeymoon, and the first day that Bible's home, the dog chewed the binding on it. So I've got a chewed up King James Version Bible. Uh, but it has memories for me. John, or John 12, verse 23, And Jesus answers them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock, our strength, our vision, and our hope. So uh, Jesus has come into Jerusalem. This is his last week. He came in with great fanfare. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. People are praising him. They're laying down palm branches before him. He comes in riding on a colt uh, or riding on a donkey and, uh, and therefore proclaiming his, that he is m Messiah. Uh, the Greeks want to see him. His mission is starting to go out already. It's, it's kind of prophetically. It's already starting to go out into the world uh, the, the, the religious leaders of the town are conspiring on how to end this thing, how to squelch this thing, how to put him to death and even kill Lazarus if they have to because of, of all the, 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 the fame that Jesus has gained through the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. And the disciples are excited and the people are excited. The Messiah, could this be the Messiah, the hope of Israel? Could this be the one who is coming into town? Could this be the day we've been waiting for? And then Jesus says this. He says, the hour has come. Really? This is it? For the Son of Man to be glorified. And everybody is thrilled. The problem is, 
They're thrilled at the wrong prospect. They're thrilled at the wrong prospect. For clearly, the Son of Man, go ahead, next slide. For clearly, the Son of Man is a messianic title. I want to read to you from Daniel chapter 7, where this title comes from, verse 13. It says, verse 13 and 14, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. So this is this, this, this one who appears as, as a human, comes before God, the Ancient of Days, and, 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 he, and, he, and he's presented before God, and to him this Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his, ki- and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So, wow. For 400 years the Jews had been looking for this Son of Man. Daniel has a vision. This vision comes at the end of a dream that Daniel has. And in that dream, there are four beasts. There are four beasts. There's a a lion, there's a bear, there's a leopard, and then there's just this horrible beast with iron teeth that just crushes everything. And then the Son of Man comes. And we've come to look at that vision as Daniel seen four kingdoms that oppressed Israel. The Babylonians, the, Medo, the, the Medes-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, and the Roman Empire. And then the Son of Man comes. And so for the, and, and so for the Jews, this Son of Man was going to be one who is going to establish a kingdom as they understand kingdoms. And let me tell you something. If you think the world is a bad place now, you did not want to live 1,000 to 0 B.C. Under the Babylonians, or before them the Assyrians, under the Medo-Persians, under the Greeks. You know, we, we highlight Greek, uh, Greek culture. But Alexander the Great, who spread, uh, who spread uh, Greek rule around the world, was horribly violent and barbaric. And then he had nothing on the Romans, who were merciless upon their enemies. These are kingdoms that are sadistic, they are cruel, they enslave, they kill, they murder, they rape, they pillage. And this is the norm. Nowadays, when a kingdom like that rises up, we vilify it. And we we look at the 20th century as kingdoms rose up like that, uh, communism and Nazism, and we look at those kinds of things, and we look at what ISIS is doing, and, and we vilify it. We say, that's horrible, that's barbaric, that's cruel. That was the norm before Christ came on earth. That was the standard. Nobody knew any other way for kingdoms to operate. If you were the big dog, you put your foot on everybody else's neck, and you press down. There wasn't mercy There was love and mercy within family units and maybe among friends. But this concept of love your enemies, this concept of good news to all men, this that never existed until Jesus came on the earth. And so the Jews are looking for what? A kingdom that's going to be fierce and destroy their enemies. Jesus is going to be a warrior king. We've already talked about how the feeding of the 5,000 so much played into their idea because 
because siege warfare was so much a part of warfare back then that if you had somebody who could take five loaves and two fish and feed an army, I mean, that's still, I mean, trust me, if that happened today, that person would get recruited. The Navy would be after them. An army, a Navy, Marines, Air Force, they travel on their stomach. That's always an issue with military. How do you feed all those people? How do you provide for all those people? The food's yummy in the military, right? Yeah. And so they have a messianic vision that is the same as the vision of the world. Let me tell you something. Christians, we make this mistake. We've made this mistake for 2,000 years. We think we can advance the kingdom of God by the means of the world. That's what the Crusades were about. That's what the Inquisition was about. Listen, you can't communicate a gospel of love and mercy by telling somebody you're going to burn them to death unless they repent. Even if your intention is for the well-being of their eternal soul. It doesn't work. Coercion doesn't work. And let me tell you something else. It doesn't work to accommodate... the, the Liberal theology tried to do this in the middle of the 20th century when scientific relativism was rising to its apex and, and people thought it was impossible anymore to believe in Christianity without believe, and believing in miracles. And so they, they decided to just to take away all the supernatural out of Christianity and turn it into a system of ethics. And, and that religion, that theological liberalism is dying and dead today. It had a short period of popularity, but it's dying and dead. And then we entered into the marketing culture and the entertainment culture, and we've, we've built churches that are full of, of marketing and entertainment. And, and, and that rose in the 80s and 90s, and now uh, the millennial generation is sick of it. They don't want anything to do with it. They see it as phony and empty and hollow. You cannot advance the kingdom of God with the means of the world. But that's all we know. That's all the Jews knew. The Romans have the best armies and the best generals. We need a better army and better generals. How else are we going to take this yoke off from among us? And so Jesus says, the hour has come. We want to hear that. The Son of Man, yes, the Messiah, to be glorified, yes, to sit on the throne in Jerusalem. And finally, just like it was when David was king, we'll be the big kids on the block. And then Jesus goes on to say three things that totally baffled his disciples. He keeps telling them this time and time again, and they don't get it until after the resurrection. He says, the Son of Man has come, the hour has come to him to be glorified. And then he says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and does what? Dies. What are you talking about dying? This is the time to conquer. He says, you're right, it's the time to conquer. Therefore, I die. It's all throughout throughout the Old Testament, people. Remember, the Old Testament is always foreshadowing the new. It's always telling us what's going to happen. Abraham gets this great promise that he's going to live in this land populated by more people than the sands and the seashore. He dies with one kid. And he's still an alien in that land. It wasn't until 400 years later that that promise finally looked like it was happening. 
Moses dies where? Outside the promised land. Can you imagine? You have to deal with those people 40 years in the desert. Of course, he might have been great. It's like, it's long enough, Lord. Yeah, let him go. Let Joshua take him in. I'm good. We'll get in the promised land and they'll be going, we want the onions and the garlic of Egypt. David died what? Before the temple was built. He wants to build God a temple, and God says, nope, your son. And Jesus dies with one of his disciples with the courage to stay there with the women. One of them betrayed him, and the other ten ran away. They ran away. Like we would have. And so it's throughout the Bible that people actually die before their, their promise and the dream is fulfilled. And, and Hebrews, the great chapter of faith, even talks about this. He talks about these saints of the Old Testament who lived with this vision of a new city, who lived with this vision of a new world, and died hoping for the day that we live in today. Longing for the day of the Messiah. But Jesus says, it doesn't grow. And, and it's not only written in the Old Testament. The analogy he uses is what? It's, it's written in nature. Unless a seed dies, it's buried in the ground. And it, in a sense, it dies. And then it rises and it bears 30, 60, 100 times more fruit. It's in the code. And Jesus, of course, is talking about the cross here. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Oof. And that's what he means. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, the, the, the example I'm going to set for you is an example for you to follow. Unless you lose your life, hate your life, he says in this world, you have no life. But if you give your life away, you have life. That's the paradox, isn't it? And when you were baptized, dear ones, if you haven't been baptized, get baptized. Because when you were baptized, you went under the water, and when you went under the water, the Bible says you died with Christ. You were buried. And you rose again, a new man. One of my favorite songs is Fire Fall Down, just because I like the image of fire and like the firehouse and all that. But in that song, it says, you know, you came to change my broken life. It's not good theology. It's a good song, but it's not great theology. He didn't come to change your life. He came to kill your life. God, I want to be better. Nah, you need to be dead. You need to be dead. Because when you die, I'm going to raise a new thing. And Galatians 2 speaks this profound truth. I have been crucified with Christ, and the life I now live, I live by faith. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And all sin is playing with a dead thing. When Christians sin, you're simply playing with a dead thing. My, uh, when, we, uh, when our kids were little, uh, my, some of you know my brother-in-law and my sister. Um, if you've been to the Grace Covenant things, you know Colleen and Barry. And they're a hoot. They're, see, I just say Colleen and Barry and people laugh. I don't even have to say Barry, do I? I just say Colleen and you laugh. Yeah, Colleen laugh. Yeah, my
And Jill said, no, honey, we're not, we're not going to get a divorce. We're, we're, we're fine. But now the wheels were spinning, and she says, well, well, well what, if, uh, what if you die, Mommy? And Jill said, well, honey, that's probably not going to happen, but Daddy will be here for you. Wheels are spinning. Well, what if Daddy dies? Well, Mommy will be here with you. Wheels still spinning. What if both of you die? Well, Jill says, honey, that's really unlikely. But if that happened, we have it arranged that you would go live with Aunt Colleen and Uncle Barry. And she got real pensive and quiet, bent her head down. About three or four seconds later, she looked up and she goes, yes. <laughs> they got the swimming pool, the trampoline, the big TV. All right, we're good. Go ahead. Eat what you want, Dad. But anyway, my, my nieces and nephews, they had a cat that died. In fact, their house was horrible for pets. The tuggles always, all their pets would die. And they had this cat that died. And the parents, the parents were concerned about how the kids would react to the cat dying. But my, my brother-in-law is also kind of a cheapskate, and he did the illegal thing. And he just threw the cat in the garbage. I know. It gets worse. The kids found the cat. They were concerned that the kids would be devastated by the sight of the dead cat. But when they found the kids, the kids were actually playing with the dead cat. Oh. Moving its head around going, meow, 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 meow. Isn't that gross? That's the exact thing that happens when Christians sin. We're playing with a dead thing. It's gross. It's stupid. You know, go, go find a live cat. Though, I personally think all cats should be dead. But, I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're a cat lover, that's fine. Go find a live cat. So Jesus says, now you follow my example, and you lose your life. The first step in losing your life is conversion. Listen, we, we do people a disservice when we tell people that uh, being born again is simply a matter of having your sins forgiven and stamping a ticket to heaven. No, it's a matter of dying to yourself and rising again. Uh, I, I, I speak at Young Life uh, to a group of high school kids, and, and this one young man, I, I just have a lot of fondness for him. He's, he's a handful. He, he argues with everything. If he said the sky was blue, he'd say it was green. But I love this kid, and, and he's, he's messed up some, but he's, he's still hanging in there. But, uh, but one night we're talking about, you know, and we're, we're having a question and answer time. And, you know, do you really have to believe in God to go to heaven? And I answer that. I said, yeah, you do. And, and here's why. And he says, well, well, Kevin, should I just say yes to this so I can go to heaven, even though I have no intention of following it? And I looked at him. I said, yeah, that's a good question. My answer is no. You shouldn't say yes until you're ready to follow him. He's not looking for you to stamp a ticket to heaven. He's looking for a disciple. And, and you know, he's like, he, he was very honest. I don't want to, I don't want to give up chasing girls. I don't want to give up smoking weed. Uh, you know, I don't want to give up living for myself. No, you're not ready to be a disciple. You're not ready to be a disciple. Now, you don't have to be perfect to be a disciple. You just have to be willing to be killed. And that's the first step. You say, Jesus, kill me and make me new. Spirit, come in me. So I no longer live to the flesh, but live to the spirit. Baptize me. Let me be buried with Christ and rise new. 
And then that life gets planted in you. And the rest of your life, you're doing what? You're practicing dying. You're practicing dying to the dead thing and living to the real thing. And he says, that's the way to find life. That's where life is found. But whoever loves his life, whoever, listen, dear ones, we, we hunger after security. Oh my, it's, it's so silly. I get it because I do the same thing. You know, am I, I going to have enough in my retirement? Probably. I've had enough up to this point. Listen, if I run out with 40 or 50 days left, I've got it stored up. <laughs> Where moth and rust cannot destroy. Oh, no, that's another place. Okay, never mind. We live in the wealthiest culture in the history of the world, and ironically, we're the, most peop- we're the people most worried about money. Our security is in him. The things, listen, there's nothing wrong with the things you have. There's nothing wrong with your home. There's nothing wrong with your account. But if it obsesses you, give it away. And see if the Lord is not your provider. And that's, we practice that. That's what, that's, frankly, that's what tithing is, is dying, right? Sometimes it feels like it. (sighs) (sighs) But it's saying, God, I trust you more than money. I trust you more than money. Our ambitions. I was 17 years old. I was a junior in high school, and we we had to answer a question in an essay. What do you want to be in 10 years? Three things were prominent in my essay. Rich, Harvard-trained lawyer, playboy. I know, it's ridiculous. That's what I was, I was at 17. By 27, I was going to be a rich Harvard playboy lawyer. You know what I was by 27? I was a poor married preacher. With two kids and another one. Plans had changed. And here's the thing. I was happy. I had a career that was meaningful. had a beautiful wife. What do I want more than one woman for? My goodness. I mean, I got a great wife. I don't need, you know, I don't, and, and, and I don't need another woman to tell me to take out the garbage. I mean, I, one, she doesn't even tell me to take out the garbage because I've learned to do it. But you lay it down, and God resurrects the life that he has for you. And it's always better. It's always better. I've been, I, I, I've been and, I, and it, it is a privilege. It's a hard privilege, but I have been, uh, part of my job is dealing with death. When somebody dies, they call the preacher. When somebody's about to die, they call the preacher. So I've been with lots of people who are about to die. And they never talk about, I wish I'd have worked more hours and made more money. Wish I would have slept with more women. Wish I would have been more famous. Those are never the issues. 
It's always about the quality of relationships with God and others that people have. What matters most isn't some imaginary future you have. What matters most is sitting right next to you this morning. It's in this room. It's in your family. It's in your friendships. And it's in your heart with God. And when you lose your life in him, it comes back 30, 60, 100 fold. But dear ones, make, let, me, let me be clear on this. It does not come back to you without suffering. Everybody suffers. Christians and non-Christians alike. But Jesus promised us as Christians that we would suffer. I don't know where we came up with this notion in charismatic Christianity that life was just one stream of blessings. Bless me, bless me, bless me, Lord. Listen, I get it. God is a blesser. And I've been blessed. I still have my socks on, but figuratively, my socks should be off. I've, my, I've, my socks have been blessed off. But dear ones, in this losing of your life, there is a price. Some people literally are called to lose their life to follow Jesus. That happens in our world today. It doesn't happen in our culture, but it happens in our world. But in the workplace, you'll be scorned and mocked some. You'll be looked upon. And then you lose your life by serving. And we just, wasn't that a great song, that last song? I love that. It's an old vineyard song. I love your presence. I love your presence. And then Jesus talks about the key to his presence. If you would ask, uh, if you would ask 100 charismatic, renewal, revival Christians what the key is to God's presence, they would say worship. But that's not what Jesus says. Not, not against worship. But Jesus says, if you serve me, I'm with you. It's great to wave flags. That's great. I got nothing against it. I think it's great. It's beautiful. It's artistic. It's lovely. It's great to feed hungry kids. Listen, Jesus will visit your waving of flags if you feed hungry kids. You ever meet him in jail, Nick? He's there all the time, isn't he? First miracle I saw was in jail. First miracle I ever was part of was in jail. At least that I remember. Guy got healed in jail. I remember doing baptisms with styrofoam cups. Guy saying, I got to get baptized. Can you wait till you get out? It's going to be too long, man. You got to baptize me here. I felt a styrofoam cup poured over his head in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you couldn't tell between the tears running down his face and the water running down his head. The waterworks were on, and God was doing something. He meets you when you serve. He says, where you serve, I love your presence. You want his presence? Bend down. Love a child. Love the poor. Uh, love the elderly. His presence is in service. I don't know, I've never seen an angel, at least a recognizable angel. I think I might have met one. I think I might have met one. About um, a little over a year ago, 
Now, you remember, my dad came out. Uh, now, my dad's not the angel. <laughs> I love my dad. He died, he died just a little under a year ago. So about two years ago, he came out. A year and a half ago, he came out. And we realized we couldn't send him back, that he needed care. And so we ended up, instead of having him for two weeks, we ended up having him for two months. And, uh, and he was a load. And uh, we wanted to get him in a place in Port Orchard, but he wanted to go back to Minnesota. So ultimately, we took him back to Minnesota. But during those two months, he was a lot of work. And, uh, and basically, there are, there are ways that I'm comfortable serving. There are ways that I'm not comfortable serving. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable. If you come to me with problems that, uh, that need a good listening ear and prayer for, I'm very comfortable with that. If you want to come on Sunday and listen to me talk for 25, 35 minutes, no problem. I'm good with that. Um, but if you want me to give you kind of medical care and do all that kind of stuff, you know, make you meals and all that, that's not my... But he didn't need sermons. He needed sandwiches and, and insulin and... And so I'm pushing him around, and he was, he was a load to push around. I'd, I'd take him to Walmart, and, and uh, if they didn't have one of those electric carts, I'd just have to push him around his little chair. And uh, if they had one of those electric carts, you were in trouble, because he would get on that electric cart, and he would put his foot to the floor heading for the pastry aisle. <laughs> Sugar diabetes, and he's heading straight for the cupcakes. It's like, Dad. So anyway... So we're in, we're in the diabetic aisle of, the, of Walmart, and I'm pushing them in the cart, and I'm looking for stuff, and I can't find it. And this lady walks by, and she's, I hate to be prejudiced, but she was dressed like a Walmart shopper. You know what I'm saying? Sweatpants, T-shirt, hair a little unkempt, you know, kind of like I was dressed. And complete stranger, very friendly, very friendly. And uh, she looks and goes, what are you looking for? And I told her, and she goes, oh, it's right there. And oh, there it was. I couldn't see it before. It was right there. I, I grab it. I take it down. And she says, are you a caregiver? I go, no, I'm a son. And she looked at me, and she smiled. And she doesn't know me from anybody. And she doesn't know my dad from anybody. And she looked at me, and she smiled, and she said, thank you for taking care of your dad. And I said, you're welcome. I mean, I guess. That's what you I, kind of what you're supposed to do, right? But, and, I, and I walked off, and I just thought for a second. I thought, was that it? And, and, and I needed that encouragement at that time. Because it was like, you know, I'm taking care of my dad. I got other things I want to do. And I walked out. I just wondered. I thought, maybe that was. I mean, why would a complete stranger tell me, thank you for taking care of your dad? So maybe it was. I don't know. But I do know this, the quickest way into his presence is serving. You see his face in the face of a child. You want to you learn your Bible? You want to be a Bible scholar? Teach Sunday school. Because kids are going to ask you questions that are going to make you learn. You know, nothing, nothing makes you panic more than Saturday night before a Sunday school lesson going, ah! You're going to learn, learn your Bible, you know. You want to meet Jesus? Go to jail and lead men to Christ or women to Christ. Jesus says, 
My presence is found in service. What do we want? We're like the Jews. We don't want to die. We want to live. We want fame. We want fortune. We want trouble free. We want security. We want to meet Jesus on our couch with a bowl of pasta, watching TV. Joyce Meyer, usher me into his presence. Joyce is great. Got nothing against Joyce. We, have a, we, 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 we are very tempted to share the Jewish version of the Messiah. The one who just sweeps away all our enemies, takes away all our problems, and we live happily ever after. But that's not the call. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his great book, The Cost of Discipleship, says when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And if you want to find your life, lose it. And if you hunger for his presence, serve him. Listen, there's... How do I serve him? Gosh, I don't know. There's a hundred ways. Start by being nice to the people around you. You know? Nothing's worse than somebody who serves Jesus publicly and is a tyrant at home. The greatest way to make sure your kids don't follow Jesus is be a religious phony. So, dear ones... I'll never forget, I'm reading the Gospels and I'm getting excited. It's at, the beginning of, it's at the beginning of my journey into signs and wonders. I'm believing it. Signs and wonders are real and they're for today. And power is real and it's for today. And, and healing sick and delivering people and resurrection and it's all for today. And seeing transformation and revival, it's all for today. And I'm getting excited about it. And I call out to God in a passionate prayer. And it was an authentic and passionate prayer. Oh, Lord, I want to be like Jesus as a young preacher. <clears throat> I remember in my office saying that prayer. And immediately a picture came into my mind. Foop. A bloody man on a cross. And I love the fact that, I, that I, was, I wasn't clever enough to edit my next words. They came out of my mouth before I knew what I was saying, but it was so revealing. I said this. I actually said this. No, not that Jesus. <laughs> the other one. The feeding the 5,000, the healing the blind. The deaf. And the Lord spoke very, and I, I, immediately as I said that, I knew what God was going to say. And he said, they come together. You want to share in the resurrection? You share in the suffering. It's, it's just the way it works. You cry out to God for revival and renewal and the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living, and I do, people. I do. I went over to Dan and Yvette's house the other day, and they had their Bible open to Psalm 27. Because they know Psalm 27, 13 is one of my life verses that I have lost hope for this, except that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I know what that psalm is saying. That psalm is saying what, what our heart cry is, that heaven would invade earth. But the devil doesn't give up ground easy. 
And so don't be alarmed when you find life and death working in you simultaneously. When you find grief and joy. When you find victory and sorrow. Don't be alarmed at that. Don't, don't think, gosh, I must not be doing this right. Because it seems like that guy over there just has nothing but victory. You don't know that guy's life. You don't, don't envy. Be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. And follow the real Messiah. It won't be easy, but we'll do it together. So when I'm down, you'll be there to pick me up. And when you're down, maybe I'll be there to help you. And we'll be a family. And we'll, and we'll do it. Through the highs and the lows. Through the death and the resurrection. Through the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. And the price that that's, that that's paid for in this life to happen. Make sense? Jesus, help us follow the Messiah. Not the Messiah of our imagination, of our wishful thinking. Um, we want a magic genie. But we get a loving father. We want a sinless world, and it's waiting for us. But not until we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And you will set a table before us in the presence of our enemies. In fact, you already have. We are already seated in those heavenly places. And we are becoming who we are. We thank you, Jesus, for the huge price you paid for our salvation. Listen, we all die. But Jesus' death was so much bigger. He swallowed death. He swallowed sin. It was huge. I don't know what he all went through, but not just the physical torture of the cross, but he took it for the joy that was set before him. And the joy that was set before him was your face. It was you. So we want to take your hand. We want the glory. Oh God, we hunger for the glory. We hunger for the miracles and the power and the resurrection. And we're thankful for it all. But Lord, we, we will be thankful in all circumstances. We'll be thankful in the dying because we know that there's living. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, dear ones, I'm going to ask you to meet Jesus. We already met him in our worship service, but I'm going to ask you to stick around after the worship service and serve by putting stuff away. And you will, as you carry that stuff upstairs, I think he'll meet you upstairs as you're carrying boxes and, and tables upstairs. He will meet you. And if, if you need, uh, if you need <laughs> um, to be just met and have a time with him in prayer and you want to a third party to help navigate that. I'll be standing right here uh, to the side, and I'll be more than happy to pray with you. 
lay hands on you, pray for your physical, emotional, spiritual healing and wellness, pray for the goodness of the Lord to invade your life, pray for the fire of God to fill your soul, whatever you need this morning. Pray for comfort, encouragement, strength, whatever you need, we'll be more than willing to uh, pray God's goodness down upon you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in that peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. <laughs>